Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Why Food Podcast. Today we are here with Michelle Tannenbaum, um, the cookie maven and founder of Lucky Bites. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. So as we always start, oh, sorry, I didn't even introduce myself. I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. <laughs> and I'm Ethan Frisch. And um, uh, here we are, we're here. Um, um, as our first question, we always ask our guest, um, what was your aha moment? When did you know you had to be in food, whether it was cookies or something else? When did you know it was time to transition? <clears throat> um, you know, it was sort of, a, or it's actually been a slow transition only because I'm still doing some apparel. But uh, I think everyone in the apparel industry will understand when I say this, that you reach a point where you're just burnt out. <laughs> and I think I, I kept reinventing it for myself. And I became a consultant. And I found that I loved doing active wear, which would be any kind of sports apparel, like snowboarding and equestrian wear and just workout clothes, that kind of thing. I enjoy the, the functional design aspect of that. But I think, again, after a while, anyone wants to try something new. And I was slowly transitioning into food. And when I got to New York, and you know, I was in San Francisco, I uh, came to New York, back to New York, and I was very, started to get very connected into the food world. So, so you were telling us over lunch that um, some of your first uh, forays into making cookies, one was dog cookies and one was chocolate truffles. Like, tell us more about that. Well, <clears throat> I actually, if you go way back, even before <laughs> that, um, I was baking cookies probably in high school as a way to get sweets into the house because my mom was very health conscious and um, I would work with whatever I had. So snickerdoodles were always the option because it was such a basic cookie. Like you had sugar, you had flour, you had cinnamon. So I think even back then I realized that that was like a, I, I told my mother that she should allow me to do it because it's a creative expression. So even then I think I was understanding that that was a way I could express myself creatively. Um, but Turning the clock forward a few years, um, probably in about 2010 or 11, I started to um, realize that the gift baskets I was making for my design clients with homemade cookies, I could start doing that as a business. And uh, one of my business-minded friends sat down with me one day, and we were figuring it out. And a lot of other things were happening at the same time, but one of them was um, the local pet boutique. It was a very upscale, fancy <laughs> pet store. Um, had me make cookies on consignment, dog cookies for the holidays, Hanukkah and Christmas theme. And they sold out. And what flavor were the cookies? They were peanut butter cookies. <laughs> how, um, how are dog cookies different from human cookies? Um, actually, my dog cookies are all human grade ingredients. Okay. So you could eat them, but you'd just be disappointed because they wouldn't have too, too much flavor. But Are they not, do, not they, sweet they don't, or not? Right. There's no sugar. Okay. There's no... 
seasoning. <laughs> um, but the dogs go crazy. Yeah. They love it. Um, but at the same time, I was making wedding favors for friends as my gift to them, their mm-hmm. wedding gift. I would make chocolate truffles for the tables and people, the caterers would start asking me, is this your business? These are amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, one caterer who was very pushy <laughs> said, and I needed it, I guess, she said, we're going to have a meeting in a week. You need a website. You need a name for your company. And you need a price list. I'll see you in a week. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> so that's maybe at the moment where I realized, okay, I'm going to start doing something with this. And how did the name come about? <clears throat> um, I was feeling very stressed out because the days were going by and I knew this meeting was coming up and I didn't have anything together for this lady. And I thought, oh gosh, you know, she could be my key to getting a lot of business. I better work on this. And I'm looking down at my dog, Lucky, saying, Lucky, what do I do? I don't even have a name for this thing. And then I started to look at her and said, Lucky. And and then I started to think about how she liked to bite people's feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then bites, how it had a double meeting. And there you go. Lucky bites. <laughs> That's great. And, and how would you characterize your, your cookie style? Um, I definitely would say a lot of what I do now, um, a lot of what people come to me for is the decorated sugar cookies, although I started out as uh, having more interest in rustic, what I call rustic cookies, like biscotti, thumbprints, Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, um, Linzer cookies. Um, But I would say in terms of flavor, it's like a sweet and salty thing. Uh, Again, a lot of what I do is selfishly. I like sweet and salty, so I don't like things cloyingly sweet. So that was my goal when I was developing the recipes. It should have that experience. And, of course, that's very popular now, so it's not you know unheard of to have yeah. a salty. You know. In fact, I think recipes that um, people say, this is my grandmother's recipe from 100 years ago, it's amazing. Chances are there's a little salt in that mm-hmm. cake or cookie recipe to give it. It's like a little flavor engine, you know, kind of wakes up the whole recipe, I think. How did you learn um, all these techniques for cookies and icing and such? Did you, uh, did you learn them organically? Did you go, go back to school? I I would also just jump in to encourage our listeners at this point in the podcast to check out Michelle's incredible Instagram account, because uh, one of the reasons, Michelle, that we invited you on uh, is your, your cookies are so beautifully designed and so intricately created. Um, hand-drawn often, or we were just talking over lunch about the various techniques around piping and types of icing and things like that. So um, if you haven't looked at Michelle's Instagram, do it do it now and, and check out her pictures while we're talking. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ethan. Um, the question was no, how, you learned, <laughs> how you learned all these cookie techniques. I mean, there's so many nuances to pastry. Right. Um, yeah. How did you even get started on that? <clears throat> well, first I want to say, as people are looking at my account, I don't want them <laughs> to feel intimidated because it took me, you know, six, seven years to get to where I am now, understanding how to to do certain things. Um, But I will say that also they should know that there are a lot of mistakes that you make along the way. And I think in life, everybody knows that, (laughs) you know, you learn from your mistakes. And I could say there were many orders that I had where I was freaking out because the icing wasn't drying and it was for some important corporate order and it was due in like 30 minutes and the icing, (laughs) I couldn't package them. And finally I figured out that... What pastry chefs do is they put a little egg white or meringue powder in the icing when they're making it, and it helps the icing harden and firm up. Mm. So that was like a key moment. Um, Pro tip. Yeah. Right. But these are all things that um, I think you learn as you go. And um, 
Yeah. Any other fun learnings you want to share besides the icing? Well, (laughs) I could say I learned a lot of what I know on Food Network. Um, You know, I feel like definitely with the internet and with all these cooking shows, I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, putting yourself in a position where you're ready to absorb that information because it's all out there. Um, I think 20 years ago it would have been harder to, to... learn to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, part of part of it, though, definitely comes from my prior training in apparel design. So I would say that uh, I've brought some of that into it as well. Yeah, can you talk more about that? Yeah, what was your, your first job in, in apparel? My first job was for a company called Liz Claiborne. And at the time, they had just started a new men's division. And I was hired to be the assistant to the men's knit and sweater designer. And I knew nothing about designing men's clothes or sweaters. um, Because in school back then, when you went to school for an apparel design degree, they mainly taught you about women's because more of the opportunities were in women's area. And also Mm -hmm. what are called wovens would be like shirts and pants and that kind of thing. So I ended up going to night school at FIT to learn how to do my job because I had this nasty boss. I always say to people, devil wears Prada. That, that's all I have to say. Like, if you saw that movie, that was my boss. hope she's not listening. But um, <laughs> I didn't tell her about this. So anyway, um, I think that uh, that first job was very important because I got to really, it was that on-the-job training that happens, the stuff you don't learn in school. And I started to really understand like, how to get a garment made. And before I knew it, I was traveling to factories in Asia and doing all these crazy things. And um, all of that definitely has brought me to where I am today. And, and how did your design <laughs> philosophy evolve in that job and in subsequent jobs throughout your career? Right. Well, I was lucky at that very first job because we were so short-staffed. It was a brand-new division. Normally, an assistant would just be getting coffee, but I was actually invited into the design meetings with the founder, Liz Claiborne herself. She was still alive, and she would come in once a month and meet with the design team, and I was basically allowed to come in because they needed someone to take notes. Mm -hmm. So I would just listen. I was so afraid to even make a peep, but... Um, I, my dad actually gave me great advice then. He's like, you know, at this point in your career, listening is good. Just absorb it all. Mm-hmm. So she would just say very, very few things. She was a woman of few words, but she, when she spoke, it was like chills. Like I could never imagine I would get chills listening to someone to talk about a shirt. But she would have the most interesting way of looking at it and deciding whether it's going to sell or not and what we need to do to change it. She fully understood that we were the, not me, but my boss and and the team, they were men's specialists. She was not, Liz Claiborne was not, but um, her forte was women's, but she understood that her name was on it, so she had to, uh, you know, give her input. But she would often defer to us. And um, Do you you remember anything she said or or some advice or or input that she had into the design Well, one of the things she said that I I definitely, it is now like ingrained in part of my philosophy in design is um, she talked about the garment having several variables. And that spoke to me because I was raised by scientists. So I was always taught to look at life that way. There are variables and controls, things you can change, things you can't. So she would talk about the garment's silhouette the shape of the collar, the type of button, the pattern on the shirt, plaid, printed, whatever, the color palette. These are all things that you can adjust. Mm -hmm. 
her advice was to keep it all very classic and a word I really like, familiar, um, Mm -hmm. because that won't scare the customer away. But you want them to feel like it doesn't look like what's already in their closet. So you want to take one of those variables and she would say put a twist on it, meaning make it updated, something modern, put a shot of some fun color in the plaid, mm-hmm. something enough to, the, to make them want to spend their money and buy it, but not scare them away. And I think that that actually, that philosophy, I've applied it to like, you know, maybe also to the cookie world. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that could be applied to life in general. And so how do you apply it to your, to your cookies? Well, um, you know, I think that it's always very tricky, and I often think of my apparel background when I'm doing cookies because I think, well, a lot of my cookies are fairly classic and traditional. And, you know, I always wonder, you know, or I'll use the word familiar, um, and how do I make them updated? And I often see people doing, you know, cookies with chili in them, cardamom, all these, you know, exotic fruits and different spices and spices (laughs) spices and you know I think that that might still be uncharted territory for me and maybe that's one area where I have to explore a little bit bit more but I feel like there is this interesting place sweet spot (laughs) pardon the pun (laughs) I didn't mean it but sweet spot where it's classic familiar but you inject some of that newness in there but not too much where it becomes weird. Like, I don't want to eat a cookie with, you know, whatever in it. But um, to me, that's an interesting problem to solve. Yeah, we, uh, it's been interesting for me watching you go through this process with the lemon poppy seed cookies that we've been uh, sort of working that's a great on example, for quite a while. Right. Where you, you, I tasted the first batch, I think, like three months ago. Yeah. And I thought they were perfect i thought they were great they were great but then every time i see you there's like another way that you've decided to sprinkle the poppy seeds on or another way that you've added lemon either the zest or the juice into the recipe just watching you go through this r&d process on on a really um simple but also you know i think that the lemon poppy seed idea finds that line that you were just talking about between familiar and and a little more adventurous. People have had a lemon poppy seed muffin, but maybe they've never had it in a cookie form. Exactly. How do you decide where and what part to change up as you're going through these iterations? That's a good question, and I think that's what I'm still learning. And I think if we had that answer, we always said this in the apparel world, if we knew what to change to make it perfect, we'd all be like zillionaires, right? (laughs) But I think um, with the lemon poppy seed example, That was very intriguing to me. I mean, I now see it all over Instagram. Everyone's doing lemon poppy everything. I didn't start it. I mean, it was like already happening. But, you know, yesterday I saw Molly Yeh was doing some really interesting cupcakes with lemon and poppy. And, you know, anyway, um, I feel like that is an interesting classic flavor combination. Everybody in New York City has their lemon poppy muffin, you know, greasy, whatever, but they eat it. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, and across America, people in the grocery stores, there's always the lemon poppy muffin. So it's very familiar and it fits that sort of that, that mold. Uh, so what do I change about it? OK, I make it into a cookie. How can I make it interesting? The poppy, not only in the dough like it would be in the muffin, but used as decoration on top because burlap and barrels poppies are so beautiful. <laughs> well, I wasn't <laughs> so fishing nice the but, uh. Burlap and barrel.com. Um, anyway, uh, I think that 
I, I look at how I can incorporate it, you know, incorporate these flavors. And, you know, I don't know how new it is. I'm sure somebody's done these things before, but I then decide, okay, I can just sprinkle them on top like the three months ago version, yeah. or I could do some interesting modernist asymmetric design with the zest and the poppies on top. So this is where it evolves and it becomes something more interesting. And that was for a more elevated venue. And I think the people there appreciated the design. Whereas there would be lots of people who would just be eating them and it would be a waste of time to even do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can you talk more about the, the, like the icing, the design principles of the cookies, like how you're thinking of what designs to make, um, kind of how you draw on your design background, um, to make these beautiful designs and like, yeah. And also which clients that are best suited for. Right. Well, just like any, uh, design consultant, your client is the boss. <laughs> so as much as I'd like to say, I thought of doing unicorn cookies last week. It was probably because somebody's five-year-old was having a birthday party and they ordered them. But I'll then make some suggestions. Well, we could do a purple and pink. Our favorite color is purple and pink. Mm-hmm. We could do a splatter with purple and pink metallic. Or, you know, I'll try mm-hmm. to update it in some way, you know. Of course, they're going to want rainbows, so I try to think of some way to do rainbows. Everybody wants rainbows. I know. I'm, I'm pretty much anti-unicorn, but if someone wants to pay me to do them, I'll do them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so generally, that's where the design ideas come from. I remember when I lived in New York my first time, many years ago, and I thought about a taxi driver. Like, they just go wherever the person tells them, and isn't that interesting? They're not really making those decisions. So mm-hmm. I think of that when I'm just, you know, taking on these projects in a parallel now with cookies. I, a lot of times, I'm just doing what someone else has asked me to do. Um, and I kind of like that unknown aspect. Like when I wake up that morning, what email is going to come in? You know, one day an email came in and they said, can you, I would like brain and neuron cookies. Oh. <laughs> and, you How know, literal. Right, yeah. and you get some weird emails. So at first I was like, okay, is this some kind of weird person that's just, you know, poking fun at me? And they didn't really say who they were. They wanted them as holiday gifts. So I wrote back. I thought I'll respond. Turns out it was Columbia University's neurology department. <laughs> and they wanted them for their department. So, uh, yeah, all of a sudden, that's what I always cite, too, when someone says, well, can you make such and such in a cookie? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I made a brain cookie. (laughs) And it was anatomically correct. I mean, these scientists thought it was beautiful. So how did you you (laughs) figure out how to do that? Like, walk us through that, that process. Well, on top of everything, it was during holiday time, which is the busiest. But when I figured out what this was. I'm like, I have to do this. And luckily I got them to postpone it a little bit. So I got to do it in January because I knew I wanted to really focus. And again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my father was a chemist, you know, I was raised by scientists. And so like this had just special meaning to Uh me. Um, But I also knew it couldn't be like a Halloween cookie, you know, for your nephews that look like a brain, like it had to be anatomically correct. So I was stressed out. Well, how did you decide what type of cookie it would be? Well, they wanted the sugar cookies, so that, luckily, I didn't have to decide. I found a company that made an anatomically correct brain cookie (laughs) cookie cutter. cutter. (laughs) Yes, Um, and uh, they're called Cookie Cutter Kingdom. They're awesome. And I started from there. I mean, I looked at pictures of brains. I mean, that wasn't 
so appealing. And I was very curious <laughs> about the whole expression gray matter. And But the gr- brains look pink. Like, why are they calling them gray? And so I actually asked the scientist that aura, and she said, well, actually, it's an interesting question. <laughs> like, if you don't want me not to do this kind of gory, but the brain is actually gray, beige gray, but the, the blood stains it pink. Anyway, and she was sending me pictures of brains that they were currently dissecting. Yeah, sure. I mean, the whole thing, I was like, I had just eaten lunch. The whole thing was an interesting experience. But that was um, a really cool project. And it was sort of like that taxi driver thing. Like, it just happened to show up, and look what I got to do. It was so mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I don't know if they answered any kind of question you had. But. Yeah. Well, okay. So follow-up question is cookie or icing or design? Like, what do you like doing more if, if you like doing one or the other more? Oh, the baking. The baking versus- or the decorating, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think that the decorating, especially with the more elaborate things, can take, you know, it takes more effort and, and it, you know, you, it's chal- more challenging. Um, the Baking is almost more cathartic, like, uh, okay, you have to make sure not to burn anything. But <laughs> other than that, I, ha- I pretty much have my recipes down. Um, funny enough, I don't really measure my flour in most of my recipes. I add it at the end, and I do it according to a lot of bakers might say the way it feels, the way mm. it looks. I go by the sound. Mm. It sounds sandy, like it sounds like sand is in there. In, in, the, in the mixer, makes, you mean? Yeah, you yeah. want to imitate it? It goes, yeah. shh. Like that, I know. <laughs> that that means there's enough flour in the in the dough. Yes, and it also does a few other things. Like it starts pulling away from the bowl and the paddle easily, but it's not to the point like you don't want to keep doing adding the flour because it'll get crumbly. But anyway, so <laughs> I enjoy these things. They've almost I, uh, become like an autopilot mm-hmm. type of activity. Versus the decorating is not that. Definitely, you have to be present. You've had to, you know, had a full night's sleep the night before, no wild parties, you know, that kind of thing. But with the baking, it's more, you know, of a relaxing, except when, you know, somebody wants a hundred dozen of something. It's not so relaxing. <laughs> and uh, and such a steady hand for the decorating also, right? Like you're, because you, you do a lot of the decorations, but they're hand drawn yes. onto the cookies. Yes. Tell us, uh, tell us about that <clears throat> process. Um, well, uh, there are... Different, different techniques I've learned over time, you know, from some of my other fellow decorators. And one of the interesting tricks is there, uh, I learned that quite a few people were using projectors and projecting images oh. down, oh. similar oh. to what a, a graphic designers use. Um, so there's the old school ones that look like giant overhead projectors where you just put a drawing right on the, like, lit glass thing I decided you know I wanted to get the more high-tech version so there are these little LED projectors and you just needed a stand to put it on and it'll it'll project whatever you want down onto the cookie huh. so for something like a logo you can get uniformity I heard someone explain it this way and I, I agree that for people who are already artistic like myself it helps you go faster and keep things very uniform mm-hmm. but for someone who doesn't have a an ounce of artistic ability all you people out there it's like a hundred bucks on Amazon it's like (laughs) one of the best investments I've made so for instance when a portrait someone wants their portrait done I once did Adele's face on a cookie (laughs) and I was very nervous because she's so beautiful and I'm like I better first of all it better look like her and it better be as 
you know, beautiful. You don't want to turn out like that one soccer player's like statue. Have you seen no. that? It's pretty bad. Cristiano Ronaldo. I know. I know. There's so many bad ones where they like, you know, I knew I was like, okay, I don't want to become one of those people. So I used the projector to project her image down onto the cookie. But it doesn't help you with everything. It helps you get at least the, the proportions, the placement of the, the facial features. But a lot of the nuance is still, you know, it's, you have to have some, some knowledge of how to paint. So. What are some other tricks that you've, you've learned like that to, <laughs> to make your cookies? So no, I don't want to give away all my all right, tricks. Sorry. <laughs> I can't believe I just talked about that. Um, I feel like the Wizard of Oz. Like now they know I use a projector. <laughs> or, you know. um, so. But execution is, I think, the majority of it. Even if you have the projector yeah. and all of that, right. you still need to be able to do it consistently right. and for large batches. So Exactly. And, you know, for those one-offs too, like I've done a few well-known people on cookies and you know that becomes very stressful as i mentioned earlier it just uh, you want to you want to get it right so the projector is awesome um i think with that we'll take a short break and we'll be back in a few more um to talk about your instagram success as well and more about your career transition Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. back. Uh, you're <laughs> listening to Why Food. I'm Ethan Frisch. I'm Jenny Dorsey. And we're here with Michelle Tannenbaum, who is an incredible cookie baker and designer and Instagram sensation <laughs> and artist and uh, has made an incredible career transition um, after many, several decades, right? In, uh, right. in apparel. Mm, yes. And how long have you been um, doing Lucky Bites? Uh, officially... Seven years, okay. six six to seven years, yeah. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about your your business, right? You have a kind of a, a funny combination of sort of an old fashioned style of business where people order things and they come through the mail and <laughs> and uh, it's not it's not like Amazon like you know click through and order whatever you want. It's a, a, a customized process, but then. You also do this incredible job of communicating that through Instagram, and you've got a big following on Instagram. So, um, I don't know how do, how do you have this this uh, like very hands on cookie baking business, and at the same time um, new uh, world. using right using new technologies and right. social media to talk about <clears> it. <throat> um, well, I always say that living in San Francisco for twenty years, like 
through osmosis, I became a techie. <laughs> all my friends worked for, you know, all the tech companies. And I was there at the beginning. It was an interesting time. I mean, it was like when companies like Evite and you know, a lot of companies that we know today didn't even exist. But there were all these companies starting and they would invite people like me to like focus groups so they could figure out how to structure their businesses. So I feel like it was an interesting time to be there. I remember my first internet search. I mean, God, all these people <laughs> what are did you search? like, that grandma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so here's the thing. If you're afraid of anything technically, like I was, I was afraid of the internet. But back then it was scary. It was ugly. It was not interesting. It wasn't fun to use, easy to use. But I think it only all you need is like a fun reason to, to you know make you learn a new skill. So I wanted to go on a spa vacation. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say cookies you were searching yeah, for. No, no. So so yeah, so it became that's was my first search on the internet. And did and you, what did you Yeah, what were the return results? I ended up going to a nice place in Arizona. It, was really oh, nice. okay. it worked. The internet yeah. worked. But I felt okay because one, my fr- one of my super techie friends who you know was working for like Adobe, she was not even sure. She's like, well, I don't even know how to tell you how to use the internet. Like no one knew. You know, this is probably like ninety four or five. I don't know. Anyway. So that brings me to your question, which I'm trying to remember. Which is the balance between sort of old and new. Right, right. So I feel like, um, you know, I've always been a little ahead of of the curve also because I've always had my own business. I mean, for, you know, even apparel, I was a consultant. So I was my own tech support with help from friends. But a lot of time I had to fix things myself and figure out what's wrong with my computer or that kind of thing. So I feel like I'm an early adopter in some ways. I was forced to be. I was always phobic of tech, but like I was forced to. So anyway, um, so that side of it has always um, been there for me. And then in terms of, I've always been crafty and I don't think I don't think I could ever give that up, and I, I appreciate anything I see that, you know, somebody obviously took a lot of time to make by hand, and so that part of my business um, is special because of that. I also have a piece of my business where I always offer a current assortment, I call it, so it, it's usually built around whatever holiday is happening. Um, I'm a little behind right now. I should be doing an Easter one, but I might be skipping that. But Mother's Day will be the next one. And um, so there's always the themed cookies and then the three or four other rustic types that I've talked about. You know, biscotti or thumbprints or Linzer cookies will be in there. And um, that's always available. So that's in addition to the, the true custom work that I do. So when you first forayed onto social media... Like, what, did you have exact plans on what you were going to post, what brand you were going to put out there, or did that kind of just happen? Well, it's funny, because I remember um, I was already on Facebook, and Instagram, I knew, was there. I mean, I remember out in San Francisco when they started Instagram, and it really was just for friends to share pictures. Mm -hmm. And when I started to hear about people using it for business, it was probably around... 2013 and I was like okay maybe I should look into that and I remember just the interface wasn't great I couldn't figure out how to sync my I'm like I'm not going to post to what a time consuming effort I'm going to post on Facebook post here (laughs) and they hadn't integrated it yet I mean obviously now they're all the same company I remember trying a few times it didn't work and then I ignored it and then a friend of mine is like you need to be on Instagram and he forced me it was probably (laughs) 2014 
And I remember I had zero followers, and he was my first follower. And he told me, oh, follow this account, that account. And I'm like, okay. I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember him posting about me on his account, and he got me, like, five more followers. <laughs> and it was, like, very exciting. And I remember, like, anytime anyone would comment, like, every, like, three days somebody would comment on something it was like so exciting (laughs) but um I really didn't know exactly what I was doing and I could say even until recently I didn't know exactly what I was doing but there have been some lucky uh, like Instagram featured me a year ago there have been some lucky breaks that I've had but I can say in the last few months I've made it my business to research about again these are theories on how you can build your Instagram following, mm-hmm. it's a big mystery. I mean, I even have contacts at Instagram that I ask select questions, but and they've told me that they're not even in the department that knows about that mysterious aspect of verification or whatever it is I'm asking them about. So it's like a black hole. <laughs> I know it's all like a black hole. But I feel lucky that I could actually ask human beings. Most people can't even ask people anything on Instagram. But even still, even with those contacts, it's a mystery when you read the articles online about the algorithms mm-hmm. that, you know, supposedly put your post position it in feeds in a certain place, how to get your post in a higher position. All of these things are theories and I have been trying different things based on what I've been reading. Um, And now that Instagram's gotten so big, I mean, how do you balance like what you want to make versus what you know will perform well? How do you know if if something will perform well? Just, uh, yeah, juggling all of these kind of pressures of having a bigger following. That is a really good question. I I can say it kind of goes back to that, what are the variables mm-hmm. and what, what do I need to play with? And I can give you an example of a post from about two weeks ago that for some reason <clears throat> went viral. I don't even know how it did or where it was appearing because when it's your own post, you don't necessarily see where it's showing up. But my theory is it showed up in that search feature, like things you may like. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden it had like 1,100 likes, which is way more than I normally get. And I was trying to re- recreate it these last couple <laughs> of weeks. Failed every time. You know, I'm like, is it because I hashtag vegan, hashtag vegan baking? Like, and What was the cookie? They were actually, um, and this could be it, they were testers uh, for natural dyes okay. where I was trying out um, different spices Ethan for <laughs> very good spices, um, you know, turmeric and different spices um, to, to achieve different colors. Interesting. Um, I wrote little notes. It was very diagrammatic, like this is the turmeric one, this is the one with beetroot, this is the one with uh, matcha, and maybe that was interesting to people. Maybe I need to do more of that. I, I think that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. People seem to like, I mean... I'm no Instagram expert, process. even close. But yeah, people seem to like mm-hmm. process, like seeing, using Instagram as a, a tool to see behind uh, the the finished product. Yeah, um, I'd like to see like side by side comparisons too. You know, like Sears Eats is a lot of that, where this is a steak we cooked for two seconds, and this one we cooked for four seconds. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, someone else did this work for me. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And I think we were speaking over lunch <laughs> about. Um, how there's so many beautiful food pictures out there, but if you can't recreate it, mm-hmm. and if the average person is going to be intimidated by it, there's a certain point where you don't even want to see so many of those anymore. Yep. I think you want to see 
some imperfect cookies, you know, where the icing's a little blobbed on one side, a little <laughs> smudge here or there. Mine are anyway. <laughs> I, you know, I can't do it perfectly. There are people out there that can, but I think that it makes it more approachable and I think that's where it's going, honestly. I think people want to see process. They want to see things that are realistic and approachable. Mm-hmm. And um, what, are, what are your other tips for aspiring Instagrammers? <laughs> I wish I knew. If what anyone has any tips, please send them to me. <laughs> <clears throat> what are some of the theories that you've pursued? Um, I think that, uh, you know, all the usual things that people think about, like the time of day you're posting, like when is your audience online versus sleeping? Because <laughs> then they're not really going to see it. Um, you know, I've also read that the first hour of within posting, that's when much of the algorithm work is done. And if you keep editing your post, that's actually bad because mm-hmm. every time you edit it, this is, again, a theory. No mm-hmm. one knows it for sure. It sends it down to the bottom. It, like, wipes out all the data. Oh, So okay. even if you change one, the spelling of one word, that's an edit. And then you go down to the zero rank in your ranking. Uh-huh. I thought that was interesting. That I read that recently. Because yeah. I used to be, I used to edit a lot. I have very long captions. I like to edit them. <laughs> so yeah. well, sometimes I, like, misspell something. Or, right, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, proofread. Oh, yeah. That's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, can you tell, tell us a little bit more about you transitioned into a new career uh, le- relatively later on? Right. Um, what was that transition like? Um, you know, also talking to your friends and family about like, this is what I'm going to do now. Um, making that final decision of like, this is where I'm going to do the Lucky Bikes full time. Um, and also like moving out of an industry that you've been so familiar with for years. Right. Well, I think that it's been a transition. Um, I'm still doing a a few apparel projects here and there that come to me, but I'm not seeking them out necessarily. Um, I think that there's a lot of commonality, and, you know, we've discussed a bit here, like Mm -hmm. the way you approach it from a design standpoint. Maybe with apparel, I would have thought of the function of a garment, especially with the activewear I was designing. Now I think more of the... um, the experience of the the person consuming the cookie. And you have a term for that? Oh, I just made it up. (laughs) CUI, like graphic user interfaces is the way somebody might interface with, um, again, this is like the technical stuff, with, say, a a piece of software, computer software. So this is computer uh, cookie user interface. Like I think of how the person, you look at it. Obviously, we all know the expression, you eat with your eyes first. Then... You touch it, you bite into it, like all of the texture and the flavor starts happening. That's the whole experience. But before that's even happening, the design aspect for me, like the presentation, the packaging, all of that, all of it is important. And to me, that is sort of what, what the functional aspect of apparel used to be. That's now what I think about. And it's important. For me, it can't just be beautiful. It has to taste good, obviously. I mean, we all say that, but we've all had a lot of mm-hmm. foods that looked <laughs> oh, really yeah. great and were disappointing. And on the Internet, I can tell you all those Instagram pictures, probably a lot of them don't taste that good. Some They're, of them are not even edible. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but um, I'm, pr- I'm proud of my recipes. I've worked very hard to make them things that, you know, recipes that people seem to enjoy and think are a, a good take on, you know, again, that little twist on a classic. Yeah. 
Um, and and the salt, uh, I think, is a key part of. Yeah, my brother that. actually recently called that my secret weapon. It's not so secret. I mean, I'm pretty. <laughs> so I I see everywhere. You see, everyone sees the salt being sprinkled on top of a cookie or on top of anything. I thought about the again the user experience where you're biting into a cookie, and your tongue is where the flavor happens. Yet. The salt was on top, so eventually it'll work its way down as you're eating the cookie, but why not put a little salt on the bottom? Now you can all try that. <laughs> I'm, giving away my, I'm giving away all my secrets, but I, I found it to be very interesting because it hits your tongue immediately. It totally changes everything. You can be more subtle about, you know, and you can, your salt, is, it's a lot more economical. You don't have to use as much. <laughs> Do you have a... a- Salt preference, kosher or sea salt? Oh, yeah, there was or, a huge debate about this yeah. recently. Yeah, I mean, I again, I feel like I'm a little, I'm not so knowledgeable, but uh, I enjoy sea salt, so I actually, that's what I use. I use fine sea salt in, in the recipe and then various coarse and flakes sea salts for the finishing. With uh, From particular places or colors or... Or oceans. Yeah, uh, I mean, know, it would all it would all be nice, all the pink <laughs> and the whatever. But again, for economics, um, I use white <laughs> and Whole Foods yeah. <laughs> makes a nice one. You know, I, I'm um, perhaps I'm not as uh, refined in my salt selection as someone else might be. But to me, I've been reading uh, there's, a, this, uh, there's a book called Salt by uh, Mark Kurlansky, which I'm in the middle of now. And I've gotten totally obsessed with the, uh, the it's I think it's actually called Salt, a world history or something like that. And I've, I'm, that I'm cool. down this rabbit hole about how salt has driven all of human civilization all around the world. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to take up take up your time to, to talk about that. No, but this um, is your time. Uh, but I, back to what you were saying earlier about um, Instagram as this sort of al- almost intentionally imperfect way to represent food, right? You're only seeing it. And food is such a, a multi-sensory experience. You taste it, you smell it, you touch it, you hold it in your hands, and the cookie, the cookie crumbles, so right. to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you feel like you accurately represent your work in such a, a limited medium. That, yes, um, that is a challenge because you want to make it appealing. You know, you want them to almost to feel like they're experiencing it, although mm-hmm. they can't. Um, so it is a challenge. Um, I just try to take a good picture. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, there's certainly lots of tricks. I mean, that's where, like, food styling comes sure. in. And I'm not a professional food stylist, but, you know, you warm up the cookie so the chocolate looks a little melty, you know, all Ooh, these yeah. things that make it look appetizing. Um, I, You know, again, I've learned this from others, but um, to talk a bit about the apparel and the intersection, yeah. I feel like um, what would be really interesting to me, I've thought about it over the last few years, is to design kitchen apparel just because I have now an understanding of what goes on in the kitchen mm-hmm. what and you need. my apparel background and... It really is active wear. It's functional apparel. And I see there are a few companies that are venturing into this where they're not just doing an apron with two patch pockets on it and that's mm-hmm. it. Like they, I'd like to think about, well, the, the angles of those pockets are all wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you really can't get your hand in there and 
when you're in a kitchen and everything's so fast moving and dangerous, you want to be able to have the angle of the pocket match your anatomy. It also fall, things fall out. Yes, the <laughs> when de- you bend over, yeah. the depth the, of the yeah. pocket, all of it, and the way it's constructed. There's just a pocket I could talk about for a long time. Mm-hmm. That could be another. Show. So what? What's your ideal uh, apron yeah. design? What do you wear in the kitchen? <clears throat> Um, I wear one of those not-so-functional aprons. Um, I have been giving thought to what it should be, and you know, perhaps that is in the near future mm. something that I might be doing. That's uh, exciting. Can you tell us more about the, design, the various little design tweaks that you'd be making? I think that, the again, just the, the, the pockets, mm-hmm. that's one of the first things my mind goes to. Also, um, you think about the... The way it um, goes around your neck, I know that that could be an issue. In the old days, the chef jackets were there to protect your neck, and so if there's a strap from your apron, you didn't feel it. But these days, a lot of people are wearing T-shirts and Mm -hmm. things like that in the kitchen. So I'm a big fan of the crossback, but Mm. the crossback is tricky because it's like this whole like puzzle. How do you get in and out of this thing? So I think that's an interesting problem that somebody could solve. Like, how do you make it so it's not, you know, it's a no-brainer to get it on and off. Um, I also think the fabrications could be interesting. Um, I'm a big fan of anything with stretch in it. You know, years ago when they first came up with stretch wovens, it was like a whole new thing. And I knew that that was going to be something. I knew the jeans, everything. They were going to, you know, I wish I was the one doing it because then, you know, that would be a whole different story I would be talking about today. But um, (laughs) You wouldn't be baking cookies. (laughs) No, I wouldn't be. But I think in in the apron world, you might, um, and jackets and that sort of thing that people are wearing in the kitchen, there would be a big benefit from having stretch panels, stretch fabrics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think stretch fabrics should be everywhere, personally. I, I have a, a pair of stretchy chef's pants that I love with yeah. great pockets, actually. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the challenge is to make it not look like you're going to the gym, <laughs> yeah. which I've seen a line out there that looks like you're going to the gym. <clears throat> You don't think athleisure is going to take off in the kitchen? I think athleisure, yes, but it has to look not necessarily athleisure um, at kitchen. <laughs> like it should be this um, merging of of activewear and kitchen. It shouldn't be just activewear in the kitchen that might have a <laughs> few nods to like some you know the chef jacket collar or whatever. I, I feel like there's something more that needs to be done there, and I think there's a void. But anyway. Um, I, I always felt like when I had pockets on aprons in the kitchen, stuff always wound up in the pockets. Ice cream base <laughs> yeah. or, or sauce or, I don't know, whatever I was making. I would always, like, at the end of the night, find crumbs and all kinds of stuff. And so, I don't right. know, my personal preference is aprons with no pockets. But right. Pa- a- pockets on other sides. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Maybe pockets are on the back. Okay, you guys will be in my focus yeah. group. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I have so many I have so many things. I mean, I have a pair of pants where I found the perfect water bottle that fits in the pocket because, <laughs> like, you know, chefs are always dehydrated and I yes. don't want to be dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So you get, like, this little flask bottle you put it in your pants, but then it kind of looks like you're drinking on the job. <laughs> Which most chefs are in. So in the last few minutes, we didn't warn you about this, though, so here's the suspenseful Dun-dun. part of our, oh, no. of our... We have a new segment that we've been trying out a, a rapid fire uh, last five or ten minutes of this show. So it's we're just really, gonna... really relaxed. Yeah, <laughs> we're <laughs> so relaxed. <laughs> Michelle is making faces at us. So, um, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. So we're just gonna throw some some fun questions at you and, uh, and have you see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what did you eat for lunch as a kid? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, grilled cheese. Any particular kind of cheese? 
probably American cheese. Mm, yeah. Was there tomato soup involved? No. <gasps> Oh no. Oh no. And it was Wonder Bread, definitely. Excellent. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We're talking about Midwest <laughs> in the Midwest. <clears throat> what is your spirit animal? Um my dog. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of dog? She's a Wheaton Terrier. Lucky. Yeah. Um, if you could master any skill overnight, what would it be? Hmm. Wow. Um how to do my own taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, I know that feeling. Last meal before you die. Mm. Fresh figs with goat cheese drizzled with balsamic. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> uh, best meal you've ever eaten that cost less than five bucks. Wow, that's a tough one. Hmm. Can we skip that? How about ten bucks? <laughs> ten bucks? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, pet peeve on okay. Well, I guess for you, pet peeve that you see on Instagram, but also pet peeve you on um, when you you experience in restaurants. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, pet peeve on Instagram: unicorns. Oh god. <laughs> and pet peeve in a restaurant. Pet peeve in a restaurant. Hmm. Um. No, no pet peeves. No pet peeves. You're just. I have so <laughs> many pet peeves. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't get me started. I don't think I'm eating out enough lately. Mm. Um, <laughs> who? What are your? Who are your favorite cookie bakers? Um. Wow. I definitely admire uh, Patty Page Baked Ideas. She's like the queen of all cookies. Um, you know, I think that I do follow a lot of cookie people, but there are also people that do other you know, other things that I admire. You know, I really like the girls at Our Name is Farm. Mm -hmm. They uh, they have a great mission for their business, and they bring the food community together. And, um, you know, who doesn't love the Feed Feed? I'm mm -hmm. actually doing a project with them right now. Um, it launched today. It's a partnership with Country Croc. And um, if you look at my feed, you'll see what I made. I made Linzer cookies in Which an, we ate. In an Easter theme. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's actually, you know, where things have been going for me lately in the direction, you know, um, collaborations, content creation. Um, which interests me because it gets into that whole psychology of, you know, what 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 motivates people. So, and so what what does motivate people? Um, I think it's a lot of the things we talked about, you know, the visual the, you know, when they can only look at it, it's all about the visual. So, you know, with the, in this case, it's an Instagram campaign. Um, but it should be something that they can imagine how it would taste. And that's the challenge, as we were discussing. You know, how do you make it look like it tastes so they and, and communicate that through the screen? That's yeah. the challenge. Would you I, characterize your work as more, more art or more design? Um, I would say more design. Um, I think of art as the experience of, uh, you know, looking at the deeper meaning in, say, a painting or um, some piece of fine art. There's definitely an emotional response that people have. I feel like with design, it's a different kind of emotional response. I feel like when something's, at least with functional design, when something's cleverly designed and it does some task either unexpectedly or what it's intended to do, I think that that excites people. I think they find it very interesting, and they. I think it's fun. It can be fun also. And so 
I think that that's why I'm more a designer rather than I, I don't think of myself as an artist. I think of myself as a designer. But, um, you know, I think that there's a fine line that you cross and you can go either way, you know, gray area. One of those metaphors. <laughs> if there was one world issue that you could solve right now, immediately, which would it be? <clears throat> That's a new one. I just thought of it on the spot. Wow. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I guess I've been reading about the, the issue of uh, water, how there's like a sh- water shortage in the world. That doesn't sound too good. <laughs> so I would love to figure out how to solve that. Um, well, Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Can you tell our listeners where to find you again if they want to look at your cookies or also perhaps order some cookies? Oh, great. Well, thank you for having me. And you can find me on uh, my website, which is lucky-bites.com. On Instagram, I'm at lucky underscore bites. And I think either of those two places would get you to me and send me a message and we can chat about cookies yeah, and we'll we'll post links to that on on the Y food instagram and uh and our page on the heritage radio network site um michelle thank you so much for joining us and tune in next week who are we interviewing next week um scott scott uh <laughs> oh right yeah oh we have a cool guest for you next week so um uh, tune in next week. That uh, <laughs> it's going to be a fun show. And then the following week, we're going to do something a little um, different, where Jenny and I are going to interview each other because we're both career changers. And um, uh, I don't know. We we're going to drill each other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if if you, if <laughs> <laughs> that's that was our, a sound effect. Thank you. Um, wow. So it's if so you <laughs> if you want to hear us talk. To each other, then tune in, and if you think we're annoying, then don't listen to that one. But um, <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, tune in next week. Thanks. Please uh, send us any questions, feedback, thoughts at uh, yfood at heritageradio.network.org. And thank you again to our music. Um, it is Blind by the Red Crickets. And to our engineers, David Tadashore and Victor. Victor Hirsch. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Well, that's history of mine.